Shalom. This week's Parsha is Parsha Dvayigash, and we are the Toronto Torah Podcast, brought to you by Beit Midrash Zichron Dov. Each week, we will offer a different look at this week's Torah portion. One conversation a week, every week. And today, let's talk about missions. So back in the days before GPS, uh, people used to get lost a lot. Um, I used to get lost a lot. You'd be going on the highway and then suddenly realize, wait, I was supposed to get off there, and then it's another 10 minutes before you get to the next exit. And I would get very frustrated uh, when, when I realized that I was lost, uh, especially in the early age of online maps in which they could direct you somewhere and then it would turn out, no, that wasn't at all where I thought I was going. Uh, and then a friend of mine who was a shaliach for Chabad uh, gave me a piece of advice. He said when he gets lost on the highway, um, he sees himself as a shaliach, an agent of God, an emissary, somebody on a mission. Uh, wherever he goes. And his philosophy was, if I am now in the middle of nowhere, it's because Hashem sent me here and I have something to accomplish. It was a marvelously calming thought um, and very valuable uh, for someone like me. Hello, Rabbi Anstandik. Hi, Rabbi Torchiner. Thank you, uh, thank you for that, that story. You know, it's interesting talking about, about traveling and sort of getting lost along the way and trying to find out where God's role is. Am I, am I this shaliach? Am I this emissary, this messenger of God? Sort of makes me think about the whole process of this Parsha where we really have all these characters, all these individuals uh, interacting with one another and sort of them thinking about what is their role in all of this and, and what is the mission uh, that they are doing. Of course, our parsha opens at the very end with with the conclusion of the previous parsha. The previous parsha ends with with uh, Binyamin being framed. Of course, they don't they don't know he was framed, but they find the the, the viceroy's goblet in his bag, and and they all have to go back to Egypt. And there's that's where our parsha opens up with the brother Yehuda sort of taking this leadership position and saying, "I'm going to make the case for why you should let our brother Benjamin." come back home. And in the process of his, his argument, his, this debate, Yosef becomes overwhelmed with emotion and at that point reveals his true identity to his brothers and saying, you think that I'm just this Egyptian leader, Ani Yosef. I'm actually your brother Yosef. And it's this emotional moment where the brothers embrace and there is powerful experience of brothers who have been separated for so long, now, now finally coming together. And as, and as the Parsha continues, brothers return to Israel. They, they tell their father, Yaakov, in fact, Yosef is alive. Let's go back to Egypt and we can live with him. And they all travel back to Egypt. So that's an excellent summary. Of the parsha, I want to go back to what you talked about in the beginning of it—the the showdown, really, between Yehuda and Yosef. Um, after Yosef reveals his identity and he says, "I am Yosef," right, and he sees his brothers flinch back, right, and he seeks to reassure them by saying to them, "It's okay. God sent me here 
to support everybody with food. Hashem sent me for food in front of everybody. And with that statement, he establishes himself, like in my story, as somebody who is not lost, stuck in some meaningless experience, but instead he has a job to do. You know, when I talk to people about this idea that Yosef is sent on a mission, um, you know, some people ask, well, isn't that a violation of free will, right? Uh, Hashem put him there. That means he had to be there. Um, I'm not really troubled by that because I feel like Hashem set up circumstances that enabled Yosef to get there. If the brothers don't sell Yosef, if Yosef doesn't cooperate, we have a phrase in the Talmud, Harbe shluchim lamakom. Right? God has many agents and emissaries and proxies. Hashem would have found some other way to get them all together in Egypt and for, to provide food and all of the things that had to happen were going to happen. But what he's saying is, I am here for a purpose. And you know, like I said, that's a really calming philosophy. We identify meaning in our experiences. If you have ever read you know, Viktor Frankl and Man's Search for Meaning and the whole school of logotherapy, the idea that people who find meaning in their experiences um, are a lot happier and you know, in a very meaningful, not to use the word too much, but in a very meaningful way. Um, you know, to borrow from Rav Soloveitchik in his essay, Kol Dodi Do Fake, um, the person who is able to say, there is a meaning to what I'm experiencing, doesn't ask, why me? But instead asks, what now? So, so what am I supposed to do? You know, to throw on one more uh, idea on that, um, various writers have identified parallels between Yosef and David, right? They're the youngest in the family and they're picked for greatness and there are issues with older brothers and there's, there's a lot that you can do to identify parallels there. But in particular, and I think it's, uh, it's either Rav Amnon Bazak or Dr. Yonatan Grossman, I forget which one, who, who notes that both Yosef and David begin their path of ascent to greatness with the experience of being a shaliach specifically a shaliach, an agent, from their father to their brothers, right? Yosef, on this journey from his father to his brothers, gets down to Egypt and so on. And David, if you learn Shmuel Aleph in chapter 17, he's on a mission from his father to bring things to his brothers, and then he ends up fighting Goliath, and the rest is history. So there's this sense of, I am an agent, that actually not only provides meaning, as we said in the beginning, but can also be such a useful perspective, such a meaningful perspective, that it helps prepare a person for greatness. When you're ready to see yourself as somebody on a mission, then you're ready for greater and greater missions. Thanks. That's actually a very, uh, it's an interesting point because because actually every year on Parshat Vayigash, my wife and I get into the same same basic argument, which is, was Yosef correct? Right? You look at the story. He's, he says, don't worry. I was sent here for a, a reason. I'm a shaliach. And the way that I'm a shaliach is I'm here so that you can have food. I'm here to sustain you. And when you look at the, the broader story of Sefer Breshit, you realize like, th- that might be in, this, in the small arc of the story, yes, Yosef is there to provide them with food, 
But there has been a long-standing promise for B'nai Israel to be slaves in a land that's not theirs. Yosef is here. If you look at the story as a whole, Yosef is probably here because this was how to get Yaakov and the family into Egypt for them to be slaves in Egypt. And so this is something that, that my wife and I always go back and forth about is, is Yosef correct? And even if what I think is really powerful is that even if Yosef is not correct, even if I, as the reader of the Torah now, know the real reason Yosef is there is to bring Yaakov to Egypt, but still, for Yosef, that was true. And for Yosef, it was meaningful. And for Yosef, his life made sense because he was on this mission. And so even if I'm not right in why I think that, uh, in, in the way that I think I'm, uh, why I'm somewhere, right? If, if going back to the story, is it really actually true that the shaliach got, took the wrong exit so that he could be, is there anything to gain? Maybe not actually true, but as sort of man's search for meaning, if I can overlay my experience with meaning, if I can see this is something that's powerful for me, if it can make a difference in my life, and if I can use that to make a difference in someone else's life, matovu manayim, that better than matovu manayim. Like that's, that's the point. And I've now brought meaning into my life, even if it's a stretch, even if it might not necessarily be actually correct. My goal is to try to make meaning. My goal is to try to find something and give it some significance. And I think that's really a powerful piece about Yosef, knowing, that, knowing what we know about why they're really in Egypt, there could be something more than just to keep them alive. But if that's meaningful for Yosef, and it is meaningful for Yosef, that already is significant. And that already is, is a powerful thing. I'm really not sure how I feel about that. Um... On the one hand, in terms of you know, feeling like you are someone on a mission, you know, the psychological, emotional benefit, uh, yes, that can make sense, that a person could identify a meaning, and whether that's the meaning, capital M, whether that's really why Hashem sent them there or not, well, that doesn't really matter so much. But I'm reminded of a conversation I had with Rabbi Ruven Bolka, Olive Shalom about logotherapy. You know, Dr. Frankel writes a lot about, as I said before, uh, finding meaning in our lives and finding purpose. And that raises an interesting question, which he doesn't really address. Um, what if somebody finds meaning in being an ax murderer? Like, is that, you know, well, it's meaningful, so therefore it's positive and it's gonna give him a sense of meaning and it'll be good for his existence and so on. Like, could you really say that? And, um, the, uh, if I remember correctly, and it's several years since I had this, this conversation with him, we ended up basically saying that they're in a, in a healthy psyche, and I would say in a healthy neshama, um, there is a sense of what the mission is, or what the mission can be. It's not just wherever I find meaning. It's there are certain activities that are objectively meaningful and valuable. And I recognize that in a postmodern society, the idea that, that you know, there should be certain activities that are objectively meaningful and not others is problematic. But I think from a Torah perspective, that's true. And it just it leaves me uncomfortable with the idea that a person could sort of invent that Yosef could be entirely wrong. No, you weren't sent here for that, but that's okay because it's helpful for him. I'm not sure I like the malleability of mission. So I'd, I'd want to I'd want to look up the exact quote, but I know that there's I, Rashi has a comment that how, the the seventy people that go to Egypt right counted it's not it's not seventy sixty nine Rashi quotes this midrash about Yocheved being born on the way, 
And Ibn Ezra is furious about this midrash. And this idea, he says, it's, it's absurd, it's crazy, she could not have lived that long, she would have a child at such an old age, the Torah made such a big thing about Sarah, how could it have been that, you, that, 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 that Moshe's mother was so old when she gave birth to Moshe, it's preposterous, and he, he hates that. And if I'm not mistaken, Ralbag has a comment here, where Ralbag says, Afal Piken, even though it's wrong, and even though it's, it's not true, when people hear that story, and they think, wow, Hashem's amazing, this is a miracle, this is unbelievable, Robach says, that is true, with a capital T, Hashem is great, and if they end up with a positive message, even if it's based on total narishkeit, it's total absurdity, Robach, I think Robach says, that's okay, that's fine, because it led to something that was good, and that the end sort of justified the means. And so, part of me sort of thinks along those same lines, that that we do have this, if, if it's true, if it gives meaning, even if it's built on false premises, that doesn't necessarily have to be a problem. But I, I want to go back in general to the idea that this is a mission, whether it's a mission that Yosef has identified or whether it's a, a mission that truly is this is why you know, Hashem sent him. Um, despite you know, the positive comments that I've made, that you've made about that kind of a philosophy, um, I think there are two real threats uh, involved. Um, number one is the threat of justifying wrongdoing because I am on a mission. Um, you know, I think about the story from several weeks ago in the Torah portion with Lot and his two daughters where they get out of Sodom, they're now safe in a cave, and the two daughters get Lot drunk and then uh, produce children, produce sons with him. The sons, in fact, are Moab and Ammon. They become fathers of, of nations. And you know, the Medrash asks on this, um, where did they get wine? You can tell me you, like, you, you raced out of Sodom just ahead of the fireball and um, you brought wine with you? So Rashi there quotes a madrash on it that says that no, Hashem put wine in the cave ahead of time so that they would get their father drunk, have children with him, produce Moab and Ammon, which would lead to Ruth, which would lead to Naama, who is Shlomo's wife and the mother of, of Rechavam. Um, can you imagine if we were to look at that and say, you know, see, this is all okay what we're doing because God gave us wine, right? Like the two daughters are there in the cave and they see the wine and they say, oh, clearly God is on our side um, because he enabled us to do this. If we're going to start looking at transgressions, not as something to be corrected, um, but as God made me this way and this is my mission, we can then embrace them. That's a threat that I'm very concerned about with this idea of being on a mission. That's, that, that's one concern I have. And then the other concern I have is about being seduced by our mission. Uh, Professor Yoram Chazoni, in his book, The Dawn, on uh, Megillat Esther, uh, has a very interesting point. I, I don't know that he's right, but it's still an interesting point. He provocatively points out that Yosef takes on Egyptian clothing. He takes on an Egyptian name. He swears by the life of Paro um, he, of course, marries Asnat, and if you read the, the psukim, you read the text, it, it looks like she's an Egyptian woman. Um, Yosef does all of these things as part of the divine mission that he believes he is serving there in Egypt. However, 
If you jump to next week's portion, in Vayechi, uh, it's in chapter 50, sentences 20 and 21, um, Yosef is still going to be talking that way, like he's on a divine mission, when the famine has been over for at least a dozen years, right? When his father passes away, the famine's gone at this stage. The only question is, did it end right when Yaakov came down or not? But, but um, Yosef wants to bury his father in Israel, and he needs to make arrangements that somebody should ask Paro for a permission for Yosef to go bury his father, because otherwise he might lose his job and his divine mission. The mission's over, pal. <laughs> the food's there. There's no, there is no mission, but we become so enamored of the mission that we're on that maybe we overstay our welcome. And so, as valuable as this can be, I think we have to take it with a, a considerable grain of salt and, and not, not be so won over by the idea of being on a mission that A, we justify wrongdoing, uh, and B, um, pursue the old mission when it's really time for a new one. Your last comment makes me think a little bit. Uh, how does one know when your mission is, is complete? How does one know when, when it's time for the next mission? It, it requires a, a self-awareness. It requires a real, it, a real ability to think about oneself, about what, what I'm doing, why I'm doing it, how I'm doing it. It, it requires self-reflection and sort of a recognition of where I am in the world and what is my relationship to the world around me. Because if, if, if I'm oblivious to that, then yes, I'm gonna, my mission doesn't end. I'm going to keep on going, keep on doing it. Maybe that was, maybe that was the challenge uh, of Yosef, that, that he didn't pause to take a look at what the reality was around him. Uh, and that, that makes me think a little bit uh, of Yaakov, when Yaakov and Yosef first interact with each other after years apart. Amy Drash explains that Yaakov, at the moment that he was seeing his son, recited Shema. What, what does this come from if he was reciting Shema? So I think we know that, that Shema, this idea of Kabbalat ol machut shemaim, sort of recognizing, accepting upon ourselves the yoke of heaven, it's this acknowledgement that God is ruling the world. It's one of the parts on, on, on Rosh Hashanah, of the Malchiyot, of the, of the portion when we're talking about how God is king, we have Shema in there. There's this, Shema represents an acknowledgement that ultimately God is the one calling the shots, ruling the world. And so no matter what had transpired in Yaakov's life, no matter everything, the pain that he had been through, the sorrow, the suffering, the difficulties with Yosef, even before Yosef, everything, he just had this moment of recognizing Hashem's hand in the world, recognizing that even if things aren't making sense, even if things are crazy, are difficult, are painful, I don't know what to do with it, I can still, there's something steady, and that's, and that's Hashem. And so he recites Shema at that moment to say, oh, there, there is a, there is a leader of this world with a capital L, and I can recognize that. And, but that only comes from an ability to be reflective and to, to pause and to look around and see, see what's happening, this ability to recognize Hashem's hand in the world around me. I really like the way you frame that because um, it fits with my personal experience. Um, the idea of saying Shema at a moment like that you know, one of the heavy prices of COVID for me, as for like millions, if not more, uh, of other people, was separation from family. 
when I moved to Toronto, um, I had no idea that you know a large gap would be <laughs> yeah, would suddenly exist between myself and family in New York. Um, I mean, you know, it's always expensive. <laughs> it's always uh, difficult to plan a trip, but you know, the quarantine rules uh, created a whole new dimension for that. And the result was that you know, my parents visited Toronto in February of 2020. Uh, they were here with us for a few days. Um, and then after that, I didn't get to see them again in person until the beginning of July, 2021. And of course there's Zoom, but you know, that has its limits. Um, and there was a lot of fear, you know, concern about vulnerabilities to COVID, family occasions that were missed, and, and all of that in this, you know, period of 16, 17 months of not seeing them. Um, and when I finally got to see them, so I said, Shema. For me, it was very much what you just said. It was sort of the retro retroactive stamp of mission. Um, that all that I went through, all that they went through, all that, that we endured, not dedicating it to God. It's not a carbon, <laughs> you know, here, here God, here's all my pain. But rather a sense of recognition that ultimately all of this is from Hashem and acceptance that it is all, that it is all from, uh, from Hashem. And uh, for me, that was a very emotional and, uh, and powerful moment. Thank you so much, Roberto Chino, for sharing that, that personal story. That's, that was a really inspirational moment. Uh, and thank you so much for this conversation about Parsha Vayigash. Thank you so much also for the opportunity. Um, I really uh, benefited from having the chance to do this. I've never done a podcast before. And, uh, and so uh, it was definitely a learning experience for me. And uh, I also very much want to thank our director, Idan Rakovsky. Thank you, Idan. Who was going to cut this out of <laughs> the podcast. Um, but um, yeah, I, I, I think uh, I've certainly come away learning something from it. And I look forward to hearing what it's going to come up in the podcast next week. Thank you, Rabbi Torchiner. Wishing everyone a good Shabbos. That's all for today. If you'd like to hear more, please subscribe, share, and like this podcast. And follow us, Beit Midrash Zichron Dove, on Facebook and Instagram. We'll be back next week with a new conversation on a new Porsche. Thank you and goodbye.